Thanks to Ana Luisa for supporting Muller, she wrote. Ana Luisa makes beautiful, sustainable jewelry at fair prices. For 10% off, go to shop.analuisa.com slash mswmedia and use code mswmedia. This episode is also sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out. I enjoy this show, and I think you will too. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's Jordan, H-A-R, binge R, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Hey all, this is Glenn Kirshner, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller, She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., Allison Gill. And today, I have a very difficult episode to bring you. I was recently able to unearth an interview I did with Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank whistleblower Val Brucksmith back in 2019 that never aired. And recently, we got terribly sad news as we learned that the body of Val Brucksmith at 46 was discovered at about 7 a.m. Monday, April 28, 2022, at Woodrow Wilson High School in El Sereno, located northeast of downtown Los Angeles. The coroner had not indicated at the time the cause of death. Authorities do not suspect foul play. The Los Angeles Times reported, citing the LAPD captain, and a final medical examiner's report is not expected until the summer. Quote, this investigation is still ongoing. However, no foul play is suspected at this time. And based on the investigation, it appeared that Brucksmith was alone on the grounds of the school most of the weekend preceding his death. That's the LAPD in a statement. The manner of Brucksmith's death is pending review of the investigation, along with the coroner's examination and toxicology results. Brucksmith disappeared a year ago after he was reported to have turned over secret files about Deutsche Bank to authorities. What follows are excerpts from our previously unaired interview from December 2019. And please forgive the sound quality. First up, Val talks about Glenn Simpson from Fusion GPS and how he was offered $10,000 back in January of 2017 for the documents he retrieved from his deceased father who had worked for Deutsche Bank. Val says Simpson wanted information on the Mercer's $14 billion medallion fund and how the reporting was wrong about how much Glenn had paid for Val's documents. Let's listen. Yeah, that's one thing. Another thing that um, was interesting, I don't remember who, uh, who said it on your show or if it was said on your show, but um, maybe I'm just uh, imagining this part. But Glenn Simpson, uh, the deal I had with Glenn for the documents was for $10,000. And this was the first time anyone had ever offered me any money for these documents and the first time I ever got paid for this. And I thought this was very interesting, especially that it was Glenn Simpson. Simpson this is January of 2017, just a, a week or so uh, after the, the BuzzFeed had published the Steele dossier. So the, the whole world was, was swarming over this. I was like, wow, okay, I definitely got to meet this guy. This is going to be very interesting. 
Um, and Glenn said, I'll pay you $10,000 plus expenses. Um, and uh, you come, the, the short version of the story is, he said he was uh, having quote-unquote passport trouble and he could not leave the country. So we had to pick a, a neutral area to meet because um, I did not know. I mean, I knew him from the news, but I didn't really know what he was. I mean, he could have been working for government or I don't know what his, his deal was. And he didn't really know me. I could have been anybody. Russian spy, which I would later be accused of multiple times, and by, by Glenn as well, multiple times. Um, and uh, so we decided to go to St. Thomas, and I was in Portugal at the time in a really bad state. Um, and so uh, Glenn has this sort of procure of data out in the field. Um, the, I don't, I, I've been calling this person my handler. Um, kind of steers me in directions and the right way to go and the wrong way to go and who to talk to. And this is the person who put me in touch with Glenn and said that Glenn would pay for uh, what I have. And uh, what you might not know is that the focus was, of course, Trump, but the main focus at the time was on Robert Mercer and Renaissance Capital, sorry, Renaissance Technology. Um, and he wanted to know what was going on with Robert Mercer's medallion fund. Uh, apparently, this this fund puts in like twenty, or sorry, it's not twenty. Um, it's close to I think thirteen to twelve billion dollars, um, while the regular fund barely breaks even, right? And the and the dying fund is thirteen, fourteen billion dollars, is split between one hundred and thirty nine people, um, close to uh, friends and family and employees, and uh, everyone wanted to know how the fuck this thing exists, how it makes money, why is no one. Uh, why has no one uh, heard about the, the method of which riches come, right? Um, so we go out to St. Thomas. Uh, we book a room at this sort of terrible, uh, terrible, terrible hotel. And um, Glenn goes through my documents with his IT person and says, okay, you're who you say you are. These documents are what you say they were, so I'm going to start paying you. So, gives me five grand, the short version, and over a course of a week he pays me, but let's just say at this point in time, gives me $5,000. And then I stay on St. Thomas, and then I go, and see, David reported very differently. David reported that I got paid $1,000, and I was owed more, right? Um, and the reason that this is an issue to me and uh, is because when I go and I... Uh, have my moments of weakness and I start Googling myself to see what the comments are in uh, different papers. I see on the very far right wing, it's all over the place. You say, well, you see, if Glenn Simpson paid $1,000 for these Deutsche Bank documents, this, this guy must, Val must have had shit. There's nothing. I mean, who cares? They had $1,000. There's nothing there. So obviously Trump is going to, uh, we'll get reelected. He's going to win, blah, blah, blah. There's a this in there. It's an issue, right? In this next clip, I ask about the circumstances surrounding how he came, how Val came into possession of these documents. Uh, Fusion GPS wanted to pay him for these documents, and Val concluded uh, that there was no foul play in his father's death. Let's listen. I do want to talk about the documents you have. Can you just tell us briefly the circumstances under which you came into possession of these documents? Um, yeah, um, sure. Unless you don't want to talk uh, yeah. about it, which I understand, we can we can move ahead. Just that you have them, if if that if that's your preference. No, 
you know, you asked me, I okay, I, you gave me the prep questions, and I was expecting this, so it's okay. Um, my father, he killed himself um, on January 26, uh, 2014. He hung himself, and um, uh, he used the dog's leash, which is, I think, symbolic. I don't know. I, I don't know what he was thinking. No one does. It's, if you said... Aliens had uh, landed on the on the lawn of the White House versus William S. Brooks just killed himself. Everyone would say that the, no one would believe the William S. Brooks story. Everyone would believe the alien story. Do you understand? This no one saw this coming. No one would. Uh, my father was not. There was no signs. There was nothing. It was just like you woke up one day and decided I've had enough. Okay, goodbye everybody. Brooks and notes. And that was it. It, it. it almost was that that simple, but it, clearly it's not. You know, it was a it was a terrible day, and um, uh, from there I I began my own investigation. I needed to know why he killed himself. There was there was nothing else, nothing else for me to do, and that was all my focus. It took over my life for five years, and it was, it was six years now. Two years. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, I used to, I was a musician. It's like I had another world before that, right? I, I played music every day. I had a band that toured 1,011 songs recorded in the week. But now it's all gone. Nothing. Now it's just solved this mystery. Why did my dad kill himself? What happened? What's the truth? And the first step was find out in his emails. What's in his emails? That's what I did. Um, and I had to... Uh, you know, it wasn't easy. My my uh, family is uh, you know the my mother, my sisters are you know pretty decent people usually, and but the tragedy like this kind of fucks everybody up in their own way, you know. Yeah, um, and you don't so they, you don't suspect any foul play with this. I mean, we I know I've heard. Uh, I think this is uh, recently actually a third. Deutsche Bank loan officer had died by suicide in Malibu at the age of 55. And then before that, it was, I think, uh, somebody named Gambino. And uh, yeah. and you, oh, I, I think if I remember from the article, you were saying that you didn't suspect any foul play whatsoever. That's not entirely true. I did for the first year and a half. I was convinced, convinced uh, it was not suicide, that he was, in fact, uh, murdered by extortion. Um, it's a long story of how I got to that conclusion. But ultimately, it was just, I didn't want to believe that he killed himself. That was yeah. it. And in this next clip, I ask Val, if it wasn't foul play, what did you conclude about the circumstances surrounding your father's death? And Val talks here about depression and how his father's work wasn't the entire reason behind him taking his own life, but he says it was part of it. I concluded that my father um, was... Uh, Unhappy. <laughs> to say, look, uh, my mom. I love her. She's not easy to get along with. Me. I'm. I'm a. I like to think I'm a decent person. I'm not easy to get along with. My sister is, and my dad is. He was retiring as well. He was facing retirement, and all he knew was this world of banking and all the people at the Deutsche Bank that he worked with. Those were his friends, his second family, you know. And he was. He was. Uh, he had retired twice before. You know, and this is now his third retirement. So he kind of hated the job, but he loved it at the same time. And he wanted to move on to something else. He didn't know what that was. But this, he was 
he had this sort of, uh, look, you know when, uh, remember when Robin Williams killed himself? Yes, I do. And a lot of celebrities went on the air and they talked about depression. And there was this one guy who was uh, a late night talk show from the 70s, his name is Dick Cabot. Mm-hmm. And he, he gave an interview and said, there was this one time in my life where I was very depressed and I was thinking about killing myself and it. And what it was, it wasn't that I was uh, so overcome with emotion and sadness and then all I saw was negativity. No, it was nothing like that. It was that I, I felt nothing. And I looked around, I looked at my wife, and I know I love my wife. And I look at her, and I, and I know I love her, but I don't feel anything. And I see my children, and I know I love my children, but I didn't feel anything. It was, it was nothing. It was gone. And it scared me. It scared the shit out of me, he said. And he said, that's... And it, and it lasted for quite some time, and he thought it would never leave, and that's when he came the closest to killing himself. And I suspect that that is something that my father went through at that time as well. I see. Um, but when when you read through his notes, it's a bit different. The suicide notes that he left were very, um, uh, it's, it's a very, I mean, they were emotional, uh, and they were, they felt rushed. It's like he was under the, we had to get this, these, these things out quickly before something happened, which is partly why I thought for a while it was a, he sort of forced to kill himself, which is, again, entirely untrue. But there was a, a feeling of, of uh, self-hatred and this rushed format, and, and, and he had to get all this out, and he wanted to tell everybody everything except the reasons why. He just wanted to say goodbye. He would not say why he was doing it. And that's what kind of led to the mystery of it all. So I don't know. Ultimately, no one can know. I mean, right. I'm sure, AJ, in your darkest hours, you know, you think certain things and you feel certain things, and so as do I, as, as everyone listening to this has gone through a point in their lives where they feel, you know, they've had enough, or they don't want to feel this anymore, or they want to feel more, or whatever it is. Yeah. But you can't, really, you can't really pin it down to one thing. You know, you can't. Yeah, it's an it, and it's hard to make sense of. You know, it's just hard to make sense of. So. So now, but yes, but to get to your point, yes, part of it was work, and that is true, yeah. and that's the part that David, that David's exploiting right now. He's exploited in the article and he's going to exploit in his book, um, but it's not the entire truth. But yes, it's a part of it. Everyone, we need to take a quick break for words from our sponsors. Uh, we will be back with more from this interview from December 2019, previously unaired discussion I had with Deutsche Bank whistleblower Val Bruxman. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. I want to talk to you about a new brand. It's called Ana Luisa. I recently discovered Ana Luisa. They let me pick out some great jewelry pieces. I'm wearing them right now. I haven't taken them off since I got them. I chose some scarlet drop earrings. So elegant, so stunning, so simple. And my ears feel wonderful. Every single time I've worn an earring, it's I've my ears have been sore, but they are not. I've had these in ever since I got them weeks ago. And I also got this amazing gold rope bracelet that looks pretty awesome on my wrist. I'm wearing it right now. Like I said, I love it. I feel so fabulous wearing my Ana Luisa jewelry. Ana Luisa's fair prices start at just $39, and they craft jewelry with the planet in mind, and that's why I love this brand. It's 100% water neutral, 100% carbon neutral, from packing to products, so you don't have to feel guilty spoiling yourself or someone else you care about. They have a large selection of high-quality, unique, affordable pieces, plus 
New collections are released every Friday, so check out what's available today. They have so many pieces I want to add to my own collection. I'm excited to see what they come up with next. A special deal for our listeners, 10% off. Go to shop.analuisa.com slash mswmedia and use code mswmedia at checkout. That's shop.analuisa.com slash mswmedia, code mswmedia. And I'm also excited today to talk to you about our next sponsor, The Jordan Harbinger Show. This podcast has been a new edition of mine. It has in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds like Anderson Cooper discussing his career navigating breaking news and establishing rapport with larger-than-life figures as a lifelong journalist to Grammy-winning rapper and SAG award winner, actor and philanthropist Ludacris. That episode was awesome. These heavy-hitting interviews come with advice and a fresh perspective to help see the world in a new way and to assist in preparing you for a variety of challenges. And there's episodes on useful subjects like how to find or quit a job, plus interviews with insight uh, into fascinating topics like dealing with grief or connecting with a parent who is still in a cult. And on Fridays, there's Feedback Friday episodes to respond to listeners' questions about nearly everything from the conventional to some real doozies. It's amazing how much I have personally learned in just a single week of listening to this show. And with over 650 episodes available, I'm excited to find out what I'm going to learn next. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or just discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's Jordan, H-A-R, binge R, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Everybody, welcome back. Uh, I am re-airing clips from an interview that I was able to find that uh, I did in 2019 with Deutsche Bank whistleblower Val Brucksmith. Um, and I asked Val in this next clip about, about the reporting on Lawrence O'Donnell that Russia was actually lending to a Deutsche Bank subsidiary. Um, he, he had to retract that, Lawrence did, but I think that there was some truth in that, and Val certainly says there was. He, he says he wasn't Lawrence's source and that he had been asked a lot about that, but his documents show that VTB, which is a Russia bank, which is now sanctioned, uh, underwrote Trump's loans. Uh, DBTCA, Deutsche Bank Trust Company of America, is, an, an, is a subsidiary of Deutsche Bank, is where the money was laundered, and that uh, Michaela Faisala was involved. And then he pulls a document while I'm talking to him that VTB complains to DBTCA that they won't pay them, uh, pay someone for over a technical error. So they withheld money from, VT, from uh, D, DBTCA until they corrected it. And this was during sanctions, uh, when VTB wasn't supposed to be doing any business with DB, with Deutsche Bank, or its subsidiaries. VTB was sanctioned at this time. Deutsche Bank tried to get Val's dad to sit on the board of DBTCA, come out of retirement, and he did, to fix their issues. So during the last three months of his life, Val's father's life, he was at DBTCA, and his documents show $27 billion flowing through DBTCA per month. And then... Uh, Val talks about Trump's loan for his Chicago Tower. Uh, Bank of America turned him down. J.P. Morgan said no, but Deutsche Bank said yes. And he brings up Rosemary Vervalik, uh, who put the deal together. Keep in mind, she's under investigation by Deutsche Bank and has since retired because of, think, I think, of that investigation. Uh, let's listen to this clip. I wanted to ask you, I know that uh, Lawrence O'Donnell on his show had come out one night and said, you know, that he had had reporting from one source that said that Donald Trump, uh, there's proof that, Don, that Russians had co-signed on loans for Donald Trump through Deutsche Bank, because Deutsche Bank was the only bank that was lending to Donald Trump at this point. <clears throat> and then he retracted that story. 
And when I first read the article by David, the thing that struck me the most outside of anything else that he said was that you had this trove of very, very important documents. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you if if there's if there was anything that after you taught yourself and educated yourself about finance and banking, was there anything in there that, that maybe indicated that there were any Trump loans that, that might have been co-signed by Russians? Yes. And no. And yes, mostly. I assume um, you can't go into too much detail, right? Look, uh, I can tell you that, you know what, what why not? You know, you, you're good people. Why not? I'll just tell you. Okay. Look, I didn't do, I was not Lawrence O'Donnell's source. People keep asking me this. You're not the first person. You're, this is a, a lot of reporters have been calling me asking if it was me. No, for the record, it was not me. But look, uh, AG, yes. Yeah, yeah, so the, look, BTB underwrote Trump's loans. All right. Well, did Trump know about it? Probably not. Did he care? Probably Absolutely not. Um, Deutsche Bank had a, has a relationship with BTB. It goes back for a very long time. BTB, as you know, uh, is the sort of state-run Russian bank. Um, used to be Bank of Moscow before the the, uh, the CEO, I guess if you could call him a CEO, was evicted from his job in the country. Um, and then there was sort of a hostile takeover and BTB took over and became the state bank for uh, Russia, which includes Putin and his uh, oligarchs and his inner circle, his outer circle, his every fucking circle that there is. Yeah, we were actually wondering if VTB was the bank that I remember Mueller had subpoenaed a, 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 a company from Country A, which was a secret battle. It was kept under wraps and they have U.S. offices. Yeah. We only knew a few clues yeah. and we thought that might be VTB in, 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 in connection yeah. with this. But I mean, who knows? No, it's Donsky Bank. Oh, shit. I probably shouldn't have told you that. Yeah, it's Donsky Bank. Okay, sorry. Sorry, guys. It's Donsky. The people that are going to be angry with me. It's Donsky Bank, yes. It's a few of them. Um, but that was for uh, money laundering, as uh, most of these subpoenas have, have been for or, or money laundering. AML people are out there doing their job and doing a very good job at it, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah, so definitely. Yeah, Donsky Bank's relationship to Deutsche Bank is extensive. Well, it's very interesting, convoluted. I have a this MCO breach report that sort of shows where uh, all the trapped uh, Deutsche Bank's money is uh, held uh, and what's owed. It's trapped liquidity, really. And Deutsche Bank has been in breach consistently, and they rarely fix it. And one thing I just want to make sure that you know that there's a difference between Deutsche Bank, as we call Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank AG, and there's another a subsidiary. Uh, really, it's kind of its own entity. It's called DBTCA, and that's Deutsche Bank Trust Company of America. And that's where all the nasty stuff really happens. Deutsche Bank AG is pretty much on the level. And, well, <laughs> I mean, relatively so. Right. right. They've got their issues. Like, again... Michele Faisola, he's not related to uh, DBTCA, he's Deutsche Bank AG, and he's the first uh, banker to have a prison sentence pushed upon him for five years. So that's a whole other thing. And that's the Monty Deposky section. But now Trump and uh, and VTB, VTB, I'm looking at a document here. Where's that document? Uh, where VTB has, is complaining uh, to DBTCA 
saying, um, you guys screwed up and, you, and um, we're going to, we owe this uh, company called United Raw Materials and we're not going to pay them because you did not put our, uh, spell our name correctly. Like, uh, you didn't finish uh, the, it's, it's United Raw Material Company LLC and DBTCA says uh, it's United Raw Material. VTB says we're going to withhold money from our from that we owe you into your account, which is actually our account in DBTCA, until you correct this. So, I mean, it's clear, clear proof that this is happening. Now, did this happen during uh, sanctions when VTB was not supposed to be doing any business with Deutsche Bank? Possibly, maybe. That's something I'm going to tell everybody later. Um, not right now. I'll leave a little bit uh, uh, for the uh, imagination for the second for the moment. Um, but yeah, so uh, GTV has had a long-standing relationship with DBTCA. Now, what part of this uh, is why it's important to me personally is because uh, my father, when he tried to retire for the third time, Anshu and the powers that be, uh, they wouldn't let him. I mean, they of course, he has his own free will. He could have done what he wanted. But they said, Bill, look, Instead of going for a full retirement, why don't you go back home to New York with the family, spend time with the family, but come to DBTCA, sit on the board, be uh, the head board member there, sit there and tell and fix this place up. You know, it's there's we, there's it's out of control. Hmm. And my father was like, oh, you know, and, and by the way, we're not, you know, we're going to pay you a shitload of money. All I have to do is show up once a month, make some decisions, go home, have fun. You know, my dad's like, okay. Fine. He doesn't want to turn down uh, a chance to work and do something a bit different. Um, so the last three months, or four months of his life, he was uh, at DBTCA, and um, I had emails upon emails upon emails, and he is just upset and angry at how things are being run. I mean, for example, there is uh, it's forty, you know, twenty-seven billion dollars flowing through DBTCA per month, and there's no. CFO. Wow. Okay. It's it's insane what's happening there. It's it's a mess. Well, and so my I have dad a question was, for you. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have a question yeah. for you. If 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 VTB was underwriting these Deutsche Bank loans to Trump and Trump didn't know, why why would that make Trump so desperate to not let this out? I mean, if he didn't know, and that's on Deutsche Bank for you know using a VTB to underwrite their loans. I mean, what, what is? Do you think there's something else that uh, that Deutsche Bank has on uh, Trump that that is more ex like that would actually pin him to corrupt intent or anything like that? Uh, corrupt intent? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, yes, of course. But uh, I, when I say Trump didn't know, I, I mean like at the time, at the moment. Um, like, for example, Trump. Uh, I can't. What was? I don't have my notes in front of me, but. Let's say the Chicago loan, right? Yeah. Trump takes out. I think it was two hundred and fifty million, or was it was two hundred million. I don't know off the top of my head, but he says, "Okay, I need money for this for this Chicago thing that no one's gonna want in their city. So, yeah. uh, please, somebody uh, give me two hundred fifty million dollars." And uh, you know, Bank of America is like, "Uh, no, sorry, you know, go somewhere else." Uh, J.P. Morgan's like, "Ah, Trump? No, 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 we heard about you." Right, every everybody, but Deutsche yeah, Bank. Yeah, nobody would says, touch him. Yeah. No, but Deutsche Bank says yes, of course, come and come hither, you know. But the reason that they do is because of the genius of one woman named Rosemary Verbalik. 
she was a private banker that handled all of this. So she packaged every deal together, and um, she did so with, uh, and I'm sad to, to uh, I'm very sad to, to say this, but Tom Bowers, and unfortunately he is, uh, he's dead as well. He killed himself a few weeks ago, um, as you know, and, uh, and Scott Studman reported, uh, and it was, I actually gave Scott that story. I said, Scott, Tom Bowers is dead. He was surprised. I couldn't believe it. And this I said, is the Malibu. Just, um, this is Malibu. Guy. Yeah. 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 I asked him to take a look at it because I, because I know Scott's really good with public information. Hmm. Um, and I said, Scott, can you get a little more in? Like, how the fuck did he die? What happened? And Scott gets back to me. And I, just my mouth, I, I jaw dropped. Uh, he said it was uh, death by hanging. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, Tom Bowers was Rosemary's boss. So he would sign off on everything. Now, Rosemary was like, she was brilliant. She had, uh, I think she, like $3 billion worth of client money she managed. And this was before Trump. So she was already a superstar at Deutsche Bank, uh, sorry, DBTCA, uh, before Trump got in the picture. And when he did, uh, she was happy to have him. She was very, you know, and this is a, a public figure. He was kind of a joke. You know, although, uh, you know, a joke is a joke, but he's still a public figure, and a public figure can uh, leverage that for lots of money, apparently, $250 million worth of loans from Deutsche Bank, right? Um, so he, she packages the deal together, and uh, Tom uh, okays it. And, you know, look, I don't want to, you know, I'm not, like, implicating Tom. He's, he's a good dude, and... I don't know what happened, but uh, you know his wife was sick for ten years. It was, he's I, I can't speak for what. Um, yeah, I, you know what I mean. Ag, help me out here. Yeah, no, I know. Hey, I know exactly what you mean. You know that this isn't. You know, we're not. We're not here to pass judgment on Tom. So these are the three or you know four major clips that came out of the first half of this interview. Uh, I have another 20 or 30 minutes or so from this interview that I'll go over next week on Mueller, she wrote. Um, just looking at some other news that I, you know, I wanted to bring to light from the New York Times. Um, the headline is Trump completes sale of Washington Hotel to investor group. And this is basically the Trump International Hotel in D.C. It's now officially out of business after the Trump family on Wednesday of last week, completed its sale to a Miami investor group, which plans to reopen it as a Waldorf Astoria. The sale formally ended the Trump family business uh, presence in Washington, although the family company still owns a golf course in Northern Virginia. The deal with the investor group, CGI Merchant Group, uh, for a reported price of $375 million, which is way overvalued, covers only the operation of the hotel, which is housed in a building leased from the federal government. We know it's the old post office. The new owners moved quickly to take control of the hotel, sending a crew out after dark on Wednesday to begin taking down the Trump signs, starting with the gold-plated family name above the main entrance. Hotel industry executives have said the hotel has underperformed compared with other luxury hotels in the city, particularly since Donald Trump left office, in part because some companies and travelers were reluctant to book rooms or hold events given the controversy surrounding Trump and nobody's trying to buy his access anymore or his influence. Those factors most likely contributed to the decision to sell the lease. The 263-room hotel still pulled an exceptionally high sale price, as I said, given its location on Pennsylvania Avenue between the White House and the Capitol. I've walked past it and flipped it off many times. Its presence inside a Washington landmark, the old post office building, 
whose clock tower makes it one of the tallest buildings in the capital area. The average sale price for hotels in D.C. in 2020 was $354,000 per room. That's according to a survey by JLL, a real estate firm. The reported price for Trump, that Trump hotel deal, uh, was about a million per room, three times. A level that surprised some veteran real estate execs in Washington. So that is now sold. The lease is uh, gone. There are still ongoing criminal investigations and congressional investigations into the operations of that hotel while Trump owned it and while he was president. All right, everybody, I will be uh, back next week with more news and, of course, uh, clips from the rest of the interview with Val Brooksmith. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and this is Mueller, she wrote. Muller She Wrote is written and produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media. Sound design and engineering are by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder at Moxie Design Studios. Muller She Wrote is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. W Media.